So this morning, uh, we will be speaking on the subject of, of true worship. And uh, the text that we will be using is John chapter 4, verses 20 through 26. If, um, you know, I, I'm sure that you all are familiar with the story of the woman at the well, but, and that's the uh, context that we are going to be speaking from. Uh, but even as we turn, if you can, turn with me to John chapter 4. Even as you turn there, if you see, even in our bulletin, what it says at the bottom, it says, God is serious about how we worship him, and we must be serious about it too. And I say amen to that. We must be serious about the uh, worship we bring before the Lord. So, Let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture, and then uh, get into the sermon. So, Father, we thank you, God, for this time that we have before you, God, to get into your word, to see what it is that your word has to say to us, God. And we just ask simply, God, for you to speak to us through your word. Speak to us, God, and we will listen. God, I pray that you would increase God and I decrease God. Let this not be anything about me, but about raising up the Savior, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, exalting you, Father. I pray that everything that is said here, God, will will represent you properly. God, do not let me say anything, Lord, that misrepresents your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so John chapter 4, verses 20 through 26. It says this, it says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So here we are on the heels of uh, Christ speaking to the woman at the well. He has already told her that if she would have asked, when he asked for a drink, if she would have asked of him, he would have given her living water springing up to life. We're on the heels of Christ exposing her sin to her, telling her, exactly what her her situation was she had been 
married five times, and the person that she was living with at this time was not her husband. So her sin was exposed to her. So after that, after her sin was exposed to her, she says, you are a prophet. In verse 19, she said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's giving him the respect of calling him, sir, saying, I perceive that you are a prophet. And before we jump into uh, verse 20, the, the purpose here is to just at a high level talk about what true worship is and at the base level where true worship starts. You know, we think of worship in so many different contexts as we think about it many times of, as coming to church and singing songs and the way that we feel about those songs and the way that it makes us feel whenever we sing those songs, we call that worship. But where does true worship start? Where does it start? Does it matter where we are when we worship? Those are things that we are going to uh, to discuss. Who we worship, does that matter? Yes, it does. And we will see as we get into the scripture here um, what true worship is, where it starts, who we should worship, what is the object of our worship. So verse 20, it says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So this verse right here is a transition in conversation. We saw the conversation as we just spoke about it changed from living water to Jesus telling the lady about her sin and then for her recognizing him as a prophet. Now the topic of conversation shifts to worship. So both Jews and Samaritans knew that they should worship God. The question was, where? Where is the proper place that God should be worshipped? This has been described between the Jews and Samaritans, the disputes that they had between them. This has been described as the most burning issue amongst others between Samaritans and Jews, namely the place of worship. Um, the woman makes a, a statement, but it's posed as a question. So a better way to explain this may be because she said our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. A better way to look at this may be this, that Jesus knew where she was going with this statement that she made. So he began to answer her question before she even asked it. See, she already reckoned him as a prophet. So why not go ahead and answer the question before she even asked it? See, but even here, the prophet, the, the context of uh, prophet, uh, the, this is more speaking of the, the prophetic word. Jesus was God in the flesh. So the prophetic word that he spoke to her opened her up. Her sin was exposed. There was nowhere that she could go to hide. Her sin 
was exposed. She's caught. So with that being the case, there are two different views of why this, or a few different views of why the subject switched to worship. Um, so some people say that the woman in posing, making this statement and posing this question, she is intentionally shifting the topic of the, the, the conversation because of her shame of being called out in her sin. She had five husbands, right? The person that she was living with right now was not her husband. She was living in sin. So some people say that after being called out on her sin, rather than discussing the issue any further, she switched the converse, the conversation to that of worship. That's, that's one view. Others say, which I believe is a more gracious view, that she was not trying to weasel out of the conversation, not trying to get out of going deeper into the conversation about her sin. But what she was doing was having genuine dialogue with Christ. And she truly wanted to know from someone now, she says that she perceives that he is a prophet. So now she wants to know from someone who she believes is now credible and hears from heaven. She wants to know that place of proper worship. Where is it? Where is it? You're a prophet. Tell me. Settle this dispute. Where do we worship? It's even been suggested that she was asking about the place of worship uh, because after being told of her sin and feeling guilty about her sin, she wanted to know where she could go to to offer proper sacrifice for her sin. So these are just some views of what, uh, you know, some people say of the conversation and why it switched so drastically from the topic of her sin now to worship. Whatever the case may be, we see an emphasis placed on the location of worship by the Samaritan woman. She is saying that the mountain that they are at the place where the Samaritans worship, in her mind, this is the proper place of worship. The Jews are the ones who have it wrong in her mind. The mountain that they were at is Mount Gerizim, at the foot of it, at the well. This is the place where the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 were pronounced to Israel in accord with their obedience. And the curses for, uh, for Israel, should they not obey God, were previously pronounced uh, from Mount Ebal in chapter 27. But also in 28, should Israel not obey God, even though the blessings were pronounced to them, there was a set of consequences that would fall upon them. So if they would obey Blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out. That is what um, chapter twenty, uh, chapter twenty-eight says of the blessings. But for the disobedience, it says, "Cursed 
in the city, cursed in the field, cursed when you come in and when you go out. So Gerizim, it, it is believed by some that that is the place where Abraham built his altar. Also, it is believed by some that that is where Jacob built his. And you can look at Genesis 12, 6 and 7, uh, speaking about Abram, Abraham and also for Jacob, uh, Genesis chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. In any case, the woman believed that tradition was on her side, the side of the Samaritans. See, the Samaritans, they believed that they were the true Israel. And they recognized no prophet after, uh, after Moses. The book of Deuteronomy would have been the last book of the Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament, that the Samaritans would have recognized as authoritative. The command of Deuteronomy 27, verses 4 and 5, let's turn there uh, real quick. It says, so it shall be when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones, as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool on them. So as we read it here in Deuteronomy 27, 4 and 5, the stones were to be set up. The command was to set up stones, an altar to the Lord on Mount Ebal. However, it is said that in the Samaritan Pentateuch, it's believed that it was changed and the place where the stones and altar were Gerizim and not Ebal. So you can kind of start to get an idea of where the question was coming from, from the, uh, from the woman at the well. Later on, a temple, uh, was built on Mount Gerizim by the Samaritans, but was later destroyed around 128 BC. The ruins of the temple, however, were said to remain and the Samaritans still gathered there to worship. And it was possible that the ruins were in view when Jesus and the woman were conversing at the foot of the mountain by the well. So this is just a a high level view of the history and the locations. Uh but this is what led this is what led to the question about where the proper place of worship should be, Gerizim or Jerusalem. So the question, in true worship, does it matter where you worship? Does it matter where you worship? Let's see what Jesus had to say about that. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So Jesus is saying to the Samaritan woman that there's a time coming where neither Jerusalem nor Mount Gerizim will be relevant for worship. Location would become obsolete for those who were rightly worshiping the Father. But worshiping what, or more importantly, 
who? That is what comes in to view here. And I already gave it away. I said the father, <laughs> right? I gave, gave the hint away. It, it, it's the father that is the object of worship. The place of true biblical worship does not matter so long as it remains biblical. However, the object of worship does. Verse 20, the Samaritan woman said, our fathers worshiped. But Jesus here in verse 21 shifted the focus to someone much greater, namely the father in heaven. The object of worship is the father, God. See, this conversation is a personal and direct conversation between Christ and the woman. Not only did Jesus shift the focus from her forefathers to God the Father, he also switched the focus of the forefathers' worship now directly to her worship. He says, neither in the mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship. He made it personal. Worship of God is personal, and he made it. Jesus made it personal with the woman at the well, but it has implications for all of us, right? In true worship, the object of your worship must be correct. As we said already, the object of worship is God the Father. Verse 22, it says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, this comment right here, this is not, this was not a, uh, a pronouncement of ethnic pride here by Jesus. No, this is just the way that God set it up. Salvation it's from the Jews. See, the Samaritans, they were off in terms of location, as we've established that. The temple that they constructed was contrary to the law and command to build the altar on Mount Ebal. They built their temple on Mount Gerizim. However, they were not only off in their terms of worship location, but their object of worship was also off. Yes, they claimed to fear and worship God, but they also worshiped other gods. The God of the land, according to custom. Second Kings chapter uh, 17, verses 27 through 29, it says this. It says, then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, that there one of the priests whom you carried away into exile and let him go and live there and let him teach them, let him teach them the custom of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away into exile from Samaria came and lived at Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Verse 29, it says, but every nation still made gods of its own 
and put them in the houses of the high places which the people of Samaria had made. Every nation in their cities in which they lived. Verse 32, it says, They also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves priests of the high places who acted for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods according to the custom of the nations from among whom they had been carried away into exile. So while these nations feared the Lord, they also served their idols, their children likewise, and their grandchildren as their fathers did. So they do to this day. See, Jesus said to the woman at the well, he said, you worship what you do not know. The Samaritans seemed to have feared the Lord, to have feared God, but they worshiped God out of ignorance. And that is not acceptable worship to God. <clears throat> so that is not <clears throat> acceptable worship to God. God can be known and he must be worshiped for who he is, not ignorantly. The Samaritans, though likely sincere in worship, were worshiping who they thought God was. But they were ignorant of the true God. These are people that the Apostle Paul would describe as being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart, Ephesians 4.18 says. Jesus said, we worship what we know, not out of ignorance. We worship what we know, but out of a true knowledge. How can God be known? Through his revealed word. And at this point, the revealed word would have been the Old Testament scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament scriptures. Ignorance of God must be informed by his word and developed into a true knowledge of him. Note, Jesus said, note how he said, we worship. We, including himself. Let that be a note to us that worship does matter. Let it be a reminder that no one is above worshiping God. Jesus worshiped the Father, so we too better worship. It is a matter of importance. <clears throat> a true worship of God cannot consist of blatant ignorance. Worship must be informed again by God's word. Matthew Henry says this. He said, ignorance is so far from being the mother of devotion that it is the murderer of it. Those that worship God ignorantly offer the blind for sacrifice, and it is the sacrifice of fools. It's no small matter. We must know who God is. We cannot worship him ignorantly. 
Even the Jews had an odd against them. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, uh, which repeats Isaiah 29, 13. It says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So we'll talk a little more about that in a, in a few. But salvation is from the Jews. By God's sovereign choice, he, deser- he determined to bring salvation through the Jews. Samaritans rejected the prophets of old, which God had chosen, and therefore they rejected the truth of God's word spoken through the Israelite prophets. The Old Testament matters. The entirety of God's word matters. We don't want to divorce the New Testament from the Old Testament. It's all God's word. It all matters. If the Samaritans wanted to know about the true God, they would have had to recognize the word of God that was written down by the Jewish authors in totality. But they did not. So not only was the fact that scripture was written by the Jewish people important, but the message that it conveyed was of utmost importance. And that message was that the Messiah would come through the Jews. Second Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 through 14, God's covenant with David. Starting in verse 12, it says, when your days are complete, And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. Hebrews 1 5 references this verse. Zechariah 9 9. It says rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus in a post-resurrection appearance said to those whom he was in the midst of, Luke 24, uh, verses 44 through 47, it says, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Salvation is from the Jews. This was part of God's plan. The Messiah, the descendant of David. Jesus was that descendant. A true worship of God does not neglect the origin of salvation, right? It's salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, it says, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. 
For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So what was determined of old now is here. Not a minute sooner, not a second too late. An hour is coming and now is. This is described as bracketing the future and present without eliminating either. The saving sovereignty of the future is in process of being established through the Christ, and it is moving to its ordained climax in its redemptive death and resurrection, but not to its conclusion at that point, for the final resurrection is yet to take place, even after the resurrection on the third day. John 5.25 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those who are dead in their sins, those who are dead in spirit, spiritually dead, they will hear the voice of God and live. Verse 28, it says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. This is speaking of the final resurrection. So this hour mentioned here in verse 23, it is a punctual time. It is the age of the kingdom of God, the gospel being proclaimed to all nations. It is in its beginning stage, but most certainly is coming in full strength and perfection when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. These worshipers are who the Father seeks. Note that it is the Father who seeks these worshipers, not the other way around. See, the conversation at the well was not by chance. It was not by mistake. It is God who seeks out the, uh, the, the true worshipers. Scripture tells us that there is none who seeks for God, Romans 3.11, even in salvation, it is God the Son who came to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10 tells us. So for the service of true worship, it is God who seeks out his true worshipers. And it is he who gets to set the terms of worship for those whom he gives the privilege of worshiping him. What are those terms of worship? Verse 24 tells us, John 4, 24 says this, it says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So God is, is, is spirit. This, <clears throat> this is a statement about the nature of God, who he is. The requirements for true worship are to worship him in spirit and truth. This is Jesus' answer to the Samaritan woman. Knowing the history of the dispute between the Jews and Samaritans over where to worship, 
Jesus answered the more important matter of how God should be worshipped. The place was not what she needed to be concerned with, but how God was to be properly worshipped. God is spirit. He is incorporeal, meaning he's not physical. He's not tangible. You can't reach out and grab God. He is incomprehensible, invisible, not fixed to one place. First Timothy 1.17 says, Now the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God is spirit also can be viewed as describing his work in the world by his mode of action, such as God is light. First John 1 5 tells us God is love. First John 4 8 tells us. But since God is spirit, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What does this mean? What does it mean? In spirit means that we are not conforming to some external mode of worship, whatever that may be. Lifting up of hands, bowing in prayer, bowing heads in prayer, singing, giving in the offering, whatever those those external modes of worship are. These things are visible things, but it goes beyond what is visible. It goes straight to the matter of our hearts. Are you worshiping God from a sincere heart? Focused on who he, who he is, not just what he can do for you. Are you worshiping God for what you can get out of it? For what you can get out of worshiping him? For how it makes you feel? Or are you focused on who God is? truly is that is the question that we all have to answer see the location does not matter so long as it's biblical and we'll talk more about that in a minute but how you worship god from a sincere heart that's what matters. So even when it comes to doing the things that are external, singing songs, giving an offering, preaching the word of God, even listening to the word of God, it's all done with a heart that is set on him and worshiping him through it all, through the singing, through the giving, through the preaching, through the hearing of the word. It's all done with a heart that is set on worshiping God. Do you have a heart that says, if it's not done the way that I think it should be, that I'm just going to check out? If the music isn't the music that I want to hear, I'm just going to check out. If I am so burdened down by problems, I'm not going to worship God. I'll show up. I'll go through the motions. But... I'm not really going to focus on who God is. Is that your mode of worship? May that never be of us. 
may your worship instead be guided in truth. Never let us come worshiping God as if we are doing God a favor. He deserves our worship. He is worthy of our worship. We can't show up to worship God at any point in our lives as if we are doing him a favor. Let your worship be guided by truth. What is this truth? It is the word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it is his word that gives us that informed that informed knowledge of who he is. And that is how we are to worship God based on who he is, who his word informs us, um, how his word informs us about him. So let's take a look at this to sum it all up. True worship. Does it matter where you worship the father? Again, no. So long as it is biblical. Worship, true worship, is a matter of the heart. And wherever you are, your lifestyle should be one of worshiping the Father. Worshiping God in everything that you do. Ask yourself the question when it comes to matters of worship in your life. Was that for God or was that for me? Be honest with yourself about that question. And you will see if you are truly worshiping God. Now, I said that it does not matter the place where you worship, speaking over all of our lives in general as believers. We are to be worshiping God with our lives wherever we are. When it comes to formal worship, meaning corporately, as a body of believers, the biblical way to do that is to assemble and worship God, singing to him, offering to him, preaching, taking of the Lord's table. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, as Hebrews 10.25 says. We should be coming together for these things. That is what is biblical. Listen. There are those who cannot be here with us physically. I know that, and more importantly, God knows that. And he is gracious and compassionate toward those who cannot be in the physical place of worshiping with a body of believers. He is compassionate to them who want to assemble but may not be able to. But see. We, in our worship, can't just leave it there and say, yeah, God understands that they can't come. We have online service. They can just attend the online service and they're good. No, what we must do as a matter of worship, as a matter of <clears throat> being...
of formal worship, we are to be together as a body of believers. That is what's biblical. So don't mistake me when I'm saying that it doesn't matter where you are when you worship God. It's meaning that you can, as a matter of practice, just sit and watch sermons on YouTube and, you know, maybe catch a sermon on Sunday morning uh, live. And that is your mode of worship to God. That's not acceptable to him as a matter of practice. He said, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. So as a matter of formal worship, we must be together. Outside of formal worship, your life is a living sacrifice. In all that you do, worship God with a sincere heart. The word says, present yourselves a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. The object of your worship must be correct. The Father is the object of worship. Exodus 23, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. You cannot be ignorant of who you are worshiping. You must inform your ignorance through the word of God. His word is readily available to you, and God can be known through his word. There is no excuse for not knowing him. Ignorant worship is not acceptable. The Father must be worshipped in spirit, in sincerity of heart, and guided by the truth of his word. Listen, we are imperfect beings and our worship will not always be right, but we must repent of that. However, go back, go back to scripture with me as we wrap up here. <clears throat> and John 4, verses 25 and 26. It says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And in the Greek, it just says, I am. Ego, ego emi. I am. So, what we have to ask here, we see that the Samaritan woman, she knew one thing, that the Messiah was to come. Despite her falling short of God's glory and sin, she said, I know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus said to her, I am. That was enough to send her running. She dropped everything that she had and sent her running to tell people about Jesus, about this Christ, about the, the Messiah. So what is the point here? The point is this, in true worship, if you have not responded to the command of I am, of Jesus Christ, to repent and believe in the gospel, if you have not received that same grace through faith that this woman at the well, five different husbands living with a, a man that was not her husband, 
If you have not received that same grace through faith, if you are still dead in your trespasses and sin, meaning you are dead in spirit, then all of your worship counts for nothing. If you do not know Jesus Christ, it counts for nothing. See, you cannot truly worship the Father apart from Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, you cannot truly worship the Father if Christ is not yours, if you are not in Christ. Why? Because you have trampled the Son. Jesus says there is no way to the Father except through Him. So true worship, everything that we've, that we've talked about, Worshiping God properly, in spirit, in truth, knowing who he is, not worshiping him ignorantly. You can go through and try to check the boxes to worship God in a correct manner, but apart from Christ, it does not mean anything. You must first come to Christ. You must be in Jesus Christ to properly worship the Father. Question is, do you know him? Do you know the Son, Jesus Christ? Have you been trying to get to the Father another way? There is no other way. It is only through Christ. Do you know him? And if you want to worship the Father properly, again, you must come to him through Jesus Christ. 